Um, <laughs> you guys sound amazing, man. It, it just sounded pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Um, I, I'm teary-eyed. My my shoes are on too tight right now, and so that's uh, that's what it is. Um, but man, oh man, being able to sing of His love forever, one day we get to do that. But we should start right now to just rejoice and just bask in His love. Ah, man. That's it. I'm going to take these shoes off right now. If you guys don't mind. (laughs) Revelation 16 is where we are at this morning. That's where we find ourselves this morning. So as you make your way over (laughs) to Revelation 16, we will read it in its entirety. As we are in the last <clears throat> set of judgments from God. And man, even just thinking about how we're worshiping and how we're honoring God. And yet we see and we read about these judgments because people have rejected Christ. And they just don't quite comprehend what it is to worship, to really um, receive of His love, of His grace, to really be able to experience the glory of the Lord. And so we we read these judgments, and we're going to read the entire chapter, and you're just going, they had a chance. And they could have sang of His glory and of His love forever. And then we read this, and it's like, ah, it breaks my heart right now. <clears throat> Revelation 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went. And poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. And it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard an angel, the angel of the waters, saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, and they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is... For it is their just due. And I heard another angel from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. 
And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the God, the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues. Because of the pain, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did, and did not repent of their deeds. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world and get to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am, quick, I am coming quickly. Or behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame and they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying it is done and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was such a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided in three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Father, your word is true. It does not change, Lord God. You're not going to re-edit it or, or, or change it in any way. Everything that we have read this morning, that we have read through your word, is true. And it will come to pass, Lord. And Father, it breaks my heart. <clears throat> Even as we have spent such an amazing, amazing time of worshiping you, O oh Lord. Imagining what it would be like in your presence. In awe of who you are. And yet we read the judgment that will come and the awe that will come upon this earth. Thank you, Lord, for being long-suffering today. We bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Man. <sighs> i got to snap out of this, kind of. But it's hard. It really is this morning. Again, just kind of worshiping and understanding the goodness of God. 
Now, I truly believe that these bold judgments are at the very end of the Great Tribulation. Given the fact that we've, what we've covered last week in the final judgments here, in the final bowls, what we covered last week, and, and, and just what we have read through this morning, lends itself to a time that is unsustainable for human life long term. It just, it just can't. They can't continue with the kind of judgment that has fallen upon the earth, whether it's just hitting the people that have the mark of the beast, but it will affect the whole world. Again, if, if those plagues of the sores are affecting those types of people, but the sea and the fresh water, the salt water and the fresh water being polluted with blood, it affects everybody. It, it, it goes all the way around now. The fact that the sun is scorching men. Man. You know, the sun has been touched, man, and all of a sudden there's no place to hide. And again, I don't know for sure if, if the people that don't have the mark, because there's still those, that, that they're kind of being protected. I don't know, but in, in one sense, there is heat all over the place, and I don't think that the night will bring any kind of relief. And so those who are still on the earth are affected by these judgments. And those who, who, who have gone through all this pain and suffering and, and, and things like that, they continue to blaspheme God because He is the one that has the power over these plagues. So the one that they have rejected and continue to reject, they will blame. And rightfully so. Because they understand where these judgments are coming from. They know it's not man-made judgments, any kind. It's not something that they, they thought up. It, it, it's not like everybody let out their nuclear bombs and their, their biological bombs. It's, not, it's none of that. God is the one involved in this whole thing. And they know that. They know where these judgments are coming from. Yet they will not acknowledge Him in any way, but they will blame Him. <laughs> and so in verses 10 and 11, it says, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and sores and did not repent from their deeds of their deeds they did not stop and turn around and say we're done let's just take it like a man they continued to blaspheme the god of heaven interestingly enough as we have been kind of correlating the bold judgments with the trumpet judgments when the fifth trumpet sounded it said that there was a star fallen from heaven to the earth. And as we learned back then, it may have been Satan himself that had been cast to the earth at that time or had already been cast to the earth. But for sure, it was satanic. 
And so now we look at the fifth bowl, and it is poured out, and it affects the throne of the beast. That which is influenced by Satan. Satanic, for sure. Now, up to this point, as we've been kind of going through these kind of judgments, up to this point, it seems like the beast and the false prophet have not been affected by anything really that has happened. Only because we haven't heard anything from them lately. (laughs) But that's not to say that that they hadn't or haven't been affected as we're going through these judgments. And so the fifth angel with the fifth bowl is commanded to hit ground zero, basically, of where all the world powers are at this time during the Great Tribulation. Wherever they set up their offices, basically, their government buildings, whether it's, it's, it's in Jerusalem or in Rome or in Babylon itself, wherever the case may be, more than likely, on the Temple Mount area. That's just the way I lean. But, this judgment hits ground zero. It hits the very throne of the beast. Now, I'm sure that at this point, the beast has, has been made to be, and he himself has made himself out to be the leader of all enlightenment. Knowing everything. Bringing just wonders to the world. And everybody's going, whoa, man. He's fantastic, man. He, He has taken care of a lot of these things. He is still for us. And I could guarantee you that throughout those seven year periods, or whenever he comes on the scene, everybody will look to him for direction, for guidance. And even then this time, they're looking at him, and he can't do anything, but they... They look at him as the one that has, has everything. Like the God of, of their enlightenment. But in all reality, he is from the dark side. And his kingdom becomes or became full of darkness, it tells us. And it's no wonder, because Satan is associated with darkness. And he tries to keep men in darkness. Why? Because he is the ruler of the darkness of this age according to Ephesians 6, 12. He is the ruler of darkness. That, that, that is his main purpose, to keep men in darkness. That's where he does his work. He hates the light. Why? Because he does not comprehend the light. He cannot comprehend it. It's interesting because the Bible tells us that we were once darkness. Not in darkness. We were once darkness. And Jesus is the one that has brought us out of that darkness and into his light according to Ephesians 5.8. It's interesting because like, oh, I was in darkness. No, you were darkness. That's what it says. And we are also told in Scripture that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Darkness is truly the realm of Satan. He loves the darkness. A lot of things that are done 
that are evil are under the cover of darkness at night in dark, shady areas. That's where he loves to be. That is his realm. Whereas Jesus is the light. (laughs) And, And I love the fact that even with Jesus, it says that darkness is as light to him. He sees it all, what's going on in the darkness. He is light. In him there is no darkness at all. This darkness that falls upon them is a darkness that can be felt. Oh, they've lived in darkness. And I think that, that, that at this point in time, it's so dark. The world is just dark, spiritually speaking. And it's almost like, here, since it's spiritually speaking dark, let me bring some darkness into this, this place. But it says that it's a darkness that has pain. But when you think about this darkness, man, it's a darkness that can be felt. And I don't know if you've ever been in a, a really dark place. Not, not, not like, you know, you're like, oh, I am just in a dark place. So emo, you know. Just. <laughs> not that kind of darkness. Like literally. Years ago, I had the privilege of being in, 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 um, in Israel. And, and in Jerusalem, in the old city of the old city part of Jerusalem, there's this tunnel. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. It's about 500 and some yards long. And you get in the middle of that, and, and it's all of this wide. I could barely fit now. But back then, that was about 10 years ago. But you get somebody like Scott or like Terry trying to walk. It's like, dude, they'll have to like grease them up and push them through. One of the guys, actually, because it, it kind of comes up like this, and it's about my size. So I'm walking kind of straight up. But you're, 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 you're rubbing up against this rock. It's all solid rock. And one of the guys that was a little bigger, he, he, he just rubbed all his hair off. That's how tight it is. But be that as it may, it's just exciting. I can tell you all about it. But we got towards the middle of that, and we all had lights and stuff, and we turned off all the lights. Let's turn off all the lights. It was scary dark. Now, that was weird. And it was so funny because we had this big cop with us, and he starts freaking out. And I'm thinking, he's a cop. He didn't have his gun on him. That's why, probably. But, but he just, like, starts yelling, turn the lights on, turn the lights on. But it was a darkness that can be felt. That, that again, even, even when you're trying to adjust your eyes, you couldn't. Because, again, we, we try to have it on long enough to where you can adjust and you could not see. And it was, it was an eerie kind of darkness. And I'm thinking, I wonder if this is the kind of darkness that will fall upon this kingdom that's in darkness. And now it's a darkness that can be felt in that sense. But it will be a darkness that also brings pain. Granted, that they are dealing with the sores that hurt so much. But this darkness, I don't know if it's so much because of the sores, it's quite possible, but, but they are gnawing at their tongues because of the pain. I'm thinking, man, that is hardcore to gnaw at your tongue. Not just like, you know, how you normally can gnaw on your tongue. I'm, 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 I'm talking about they're probab- probably gnawing on their tongues to try to relieve the rest of the pain in their body. 
You know how when you have one pain somewhere, you kind of do something, or, or you shouldn't. I'm, I'm remembering this movie a long time ago, Major Pain, where the guy's like, I can't feel my legs, I can't feel my legs, why you got any? But he breaks the guy's fingers, ah! It's almost like, now you forget you don't have legs, because this hurts. And, and that's what I kind of get here, that they're gnawing on their tongues in such a way that they're trying to cause pain up here so they don't feel pain all over the place. Again, the reality is darkness all, always brings pain. It always. And we, in, the, in the literal sense, darkness does bring pain. I don't know if you've ever stubbed your toe on something that you did not see coming because it was so dark. That's why you need a nightlight. But if you don't have a nightlight and you run into it, whose fault is that? Well, you go, it's dark. It's like, get a nightlight. But be that as it may, again, another one of my issues that I, I need a nightlight. But because darkness brings pain. It does. Because you can't see what's in front of you. And so it can cause pain. And the same is true with spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness always brings pain. It always does. When you're in darkness like that, it always does. And destruction. And during this time of the Great Tribulation, spiritual darkness is at its climax. It's at its peak in the world. Do you think it's dark right now in, in the world? No, it's not. You think even the Dark Ages was dark? No, it's not. Nothing in comparison to this time in history that it will be so darkness. Or so dark. And so why not bring about literal darkness upon a kingdom of darkness? And they continue to speak evil of God. And it almost sounds like, like Pharaoh in the Old Testament. If you remember the story, that after a while, it says that he could not repent. He could not repent. It's not like he, he didn't have chances to repent because he could have repented. But he came to a point in, in refusing what God wanted him to do in letting the children of Israel go. It says that he finally, it could, he could not. It's almost like God strengthened his position to where he couldn't. Now again, I don't understand the sovereignty of God. And I know there's people that can't have an issue with all that. But then again, that cat had time and time and time to repent. And he says, no, no, no. And then God says, now you can't repent. And these people here have had the opportunity to repent, to stop. If, if, if it will happen in our lifetime, and most of these people are alive today, they have a time to repent today. But they will not. To where eventually they could not. You know, it just seems that every time you say no to the Lord in accepting Him, it gets harder and harder to really receive Him. But as long as you have breath, you can until, you, until God strengthens your position. And that's a scary place to be. This kingdom of the beast is so caught up into darkness that it doesn't want the light, not one bit. 
it's probably very comfortable in the darkness for them because they really cannot comprehend light. They have refused so much. I don't think they even want to comprehend the light. And so in their gnawing of their, of their tongues, what an ultimate pain that you would gnaw at your tongue in such a way in the hopes of just bringing relief to the rest of your body. As one commentator put it, their tongues have spoken blasphemies and they themselves now punish those blasphemous tongues. <laughs> but nonetheless, even in the midst of all their pain and all their agony and all their suffering, with that same tongue that they gnaw and they continue to blaspheme the God of heaven. And I will quote Mark Matthews here. It says, Their will at this time be no more atheists or agnostics. All men will know. Like the demons know that God exists, but they remain stubborn in their rebellion. Quote, close quote, quote, quote. <laughs> Verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So with this, with the sixth trumpet, as with this sixth bowl, the Euphrates River is involved in this judgment, just like it was in the, in the sixth trumpet trumpet. And so this judgment is poured out on the great river Euphrates, it says here. And I know some would, would read that and they would think, what, what is this bowl or judgment all about? It doesn't sound serious. All the other, all the other rivers have turned to blood. I'm sure this one, no doubt, is turned to blood, but this one's dried up somehow. What's so big about that? Well, the river Euphrates has always been a barrier between the east and the west in that region. Especially in days of old. Today we have all the air power that could fly over this, this whole thing. and It's not much of a barrier, you would say. Unless you really need a ground game. Bringing the kings of the east over to the west. This river is, is wide and it is deep in some areas. And the only <clears throat> way over it today would be going through the bridges. <clears throat> but if you're truly in a hurry to bring the king from the east to the west, there would be a huge bottleneck trying to get all your ground troops over. And so if it's dried up, it would be easier for the kings of the east to cross over dry land to be able to get their dozers in there and just kind of fix it to where, boom, let's go, everybody. So what would be their destination, the kings from the east? Well, quite possibly, they want to get to the land of Israel, to the valley of Megiddo. What is unclear is if they are coming to fight against Israel. Now, it's quite possible that, that the kings of the east would be coming to rebel against the Antichrist, 
who will probably be in that region. But all in all, the attention at the end, once they get to their destination, will be turned towards God and into the final battle. Now, from verses 13 to 16, we get into a short parenthesis. It's not a chapter-long parenthesis, but it's a parenthesis nonetheless. Just like we had a parenthesis between the sixth and seventh seal and the sixth and seventh trumpet, now we have a parenthesis between the sixth and seventh bowl. And verse 13, once again, it reads like this. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, coming out of the mouth of the beast, and coming out of uh, the, the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked. And they see his shame. And they gathered them together in a place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. Now, even though the kings of the east themselves may not have, total, have not, not totally understood who they will be fighting against, once they get to their destination, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet they know who, they're th- who they are there to fight against. Turn, if you will, to, to Psalms chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, if you will. Reading the first nine verses of Psalm 2. Or you can just write it down and read it later. Verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord will hold them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have, not, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. In the end, and the end of the earth for their, your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall dash, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Prophesied so long ago about this scene, basically. When, when they come together to fight. It says that, John says, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. Now, 
I knew I didn't like frogs. I, I'm just not a kind of... I know some people like frogs. They're just hideous. As a kid, I remember trying to catch frogs, and maybe because I'm not good at it, I just thought, I hate you. <laughs> and now, looking at this, I'm thinking, now I know why I hate frogs. They're evil. I guess any good frog is a dead frog. I don't know. I'm kidding. For you frog people, I'm so sorry. I have frogs. I like my frog. Oh, that's another thing in itself. But, but they just look wicked. And yeah, thank you for doing that. It grosses me out. I'm gonna look this way. But yeah, they're just oh. Well, the Jews regarded frogs as unclean and and repulsive, but the Egyptians they worshipped the god or the goddess of frogs or the frog goddess. I'm thinking ah. <laughs> and maybe that's why God gave them a plague of frogs, if you remember in Exodus. Now, now frogs, what I do know, other than they're hideous, is that they are cold-blooded. I don't know if all frogs, but most frogs. And maybe that's why these unclean spirits resemble frogs. It doesn't tell us they are really frogs, but they resemble frogs, which are hideous. Everything that comes out of the spirits that resemble frogs, everything that comes out of the dragon, again, the beast and the false prophet, is just plain evil and cold-blooded. And these spirits that, we, that look like frogs are, are in reality demons, it tells us here. That they are spirits of demons that perform signs going out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And just how Psalm 2 prophesied that the whole world would be gathered together in this one place, they are now gathered together in this one place to do battle with God Almighty. So when you look up Almighty in, in the Strong's Concordance and even in the Thayer's, Greek lexicon, it has meanings like this. The all-ruling, i.e. God, as absolute and universal sovereign. That's in the Strong's Concordance. It's omniscient, omnipotent. In the Thayer's, it says, He who holds sway over all things, the ruler of all, almighty, used of God. And so it's like, this is who they're going up against. The Almighty. Not, not, not like the Lamb, but the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The one who's coming back with a vengeance. The one that has indignation. The one who's pouring out bowls of judgment that you don't even want to be around because it pours out this judgment in full strength. That's who they think that they will fight against. The world and its leaders are in such delusion at this time, not just from the pain and agony that they have been in, but because of their pride and their arrogance. 
in actually thinking that they have a chance to battle against God and then actually win God. But see, it's nothing new today. As I was thinking about this, I thought 50 years ago, there, there was, I guess there was a sense of fear about God. God-fearing people would be a term. There is not that kind of term floating around anymore. This nation, and, 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 and if not the whole world, has already gotten to the point that they are thinking that they have already defeated God. Because Christians are loving. <laughs> we don't go and behead people if you don't think the way we do. So Christians are, are mocked. They, they, they are tossed to the side. They become irrelevant until you, you, you stand up for righteousness and then they really look at you as a bigot. But they think, it's like, well, we just keep on knocking these guys down. And it just seems that, that God's people are just backing up. And I understand that, you know. Again, when we are being persecuted for our faith, sometimes we are told, well, no, we are told to turn the other cheek. God will deal with that. God is the one that takes vengeance. We don't take vengeance. And so it looks like today that we are being defeated. But you know who our God is? God Almighty. And what these people do not understand is that God is long-suffering. Because He could do what He wants to do. Like, what we're reading, He could do that today if He truly wanted to, right? But He is long-suffering. And He's giving even people like this time to repent. That's who our God is. He is long-suffering. He is not willing that any, any should perish, but that all should come. To salvation. But see, in his silence, or his inaction in that sense, right now, they think, we got, we're beating these guys like nothing. They don't even fight back. And it's like, it, it's coming. <laughs> and so when they slap us and we turn the other cheek, we're going, please don't. It's coming. Judgment is coming. He will stick up for me. Yeah, right. He was just going, and the church is going, but you know what? God is long-suffering. He is patient. And one of the things about God, He doesn't forget. He just doesn't. And we've read some of the things here that even the angel, the, the fourth angel, the third angel said, you're righteous, O Lord, and your judgments will come, and they deserve it. It is what they will get what they deserve. And see, that, that, that should be hard for us to even say. It's like, you're going to get what you deserve. Although I, I'm sorry, but I feel that way sometimes. Like, one of these days, buddy, just saying. <laughs> Do it again. Come on. Say that to my face. Anyways. Nah. But at this time, there is no more time to repent. They, kill, they, they will not be able to repent at this time. 
And, and, and it's interesting because in verse 15, it says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. And somehow, at this time, during the tribulation, the great tribulation, Jesus interrupts. Because if you have a Bible that has red lettering, this verse is in red letters. I don't know if you know that. Those of you who don't, it's in red letters. Right next to it, this, says, this is Jesus speaking. He interrupts to remind the saints, to assure them that He is coming. His coming is imminent. It, it is looming. It is about to happen. And He is encouraging them just a little while. I am coming as a thief. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 through 5, it says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light. And sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Again, he is talking about the day of the Lord. Not the rapture. He is talking about the day of the Lord. The, pre, the previous chapter in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians is talking about the rapture. When he gets to chapter 5, he begins to use the word they and them. Talking about Jesus coming in the, as a thief in the night. Peter says this in first, or 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Jesus says, it will happen. I will come as a thief. And then he says, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. We are to live our lives watchfully. Being watchful for Jesus to come back for His church in the rapture. So too the tribulation saints. They will not be in the rapture. They are now in the tribulation time. And they are to be watchful for the second coming of Jesus. Two different things, the rapture and the, and, and the second coming. The rapture to... To us here at Calvary Chapel Phelan, we preach happens before the seven-year seven tribulation. The coming of the Lord happens at the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes back to the earth. So he encourages them to watch, to be alert, and to keep their garments on, which is the righteousness of Christ. To continue, even during this tribulation time, to walk in the righteousness of Christ and to keep themselves covered in His righteousness. This is for the sake of, uh, uh, of keeping 
their witness before the unbeliever. And in so doing, they will not be put to shame when, when He comes. As we are to keep ourselves walking in faith, walking in righteousness, and walking in expectancy today, so too are the tribulation saints to walk in faith, righteousness, and expectancy. And it says in verse 16, And they gathered them together in a place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. The name Armageddon comes from two Hebrew words, Har-Megiddo, H-R-Megiddo, which is the hill of Megiddo. And the word Megiddo means place of troops or place of slaughter. And it is also called the plain of Esdra-Elon, Esdra-Elon, or the valley of Jezreel. And this area is about 14 miles wide and 20 miles long. And forms what Napoleon called the most natural battlefield in all the earth. And as you stand on Mount Carmel, and again, I was able to see this valley. And as you see it, you know, and you read these kinds of things, you're going, whoa, that is awesome. You get to see all that. You overlook this great plain. And you can understand why this gathering will happen. It is the same plain where Barak defeated the armies of Canaan in, in uh, Judges 5.19. And it is where Gibeon, or Gideon met the uh, Midianites in Judges 7. But it is also the place where King Saul and his sons lost their lives near Mount Gilboa in 1 Samuel 31. Titus and the Roman army used this plain as a natural corridor on their way down to Jerusalem in 70 AD. And so did the Crusaders in the Middle Ages. One of the British generals, Allenby, used it to defeat the Turkish army in 1917. And so Armageddon is not so much a battle or war as it is a place where the battle of Armageddon will take place in that sense. We'll cover those more in chapter 19, verses 17 to 21. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple saying, from the throne it is done. As you know, the seventh trumpet sounded and it introduced the seven bowls. And they would be the worst of all the judgments, the seventh trumpet that sounded, because it would be complete. It introduced these seven bowls and these seven bowls will complete it all. And so the seventh bowl completes the final judgment and it is poured into or poured out into the air and the air fills every nook and cranny <laughs> of the earth 
And so now the job is complete. And that is exactly what the phrase, it is done, means. Complete. Or completion of a job. Or that a task has been performed and is completed. This phrase is different than when Jesus says, it is finished. When he was on the cross. It's a different term. The phrase, it is finished, it it, it was placed on on legal documents indicating that a debt has been paid, a contract has been completed. That's what it is finished means. When someone served their time in prison, it was stamped on their paperwork that they had served their sentence in full. And they were now free. And that's what Jesus did and said on the cross. He came to set men free. And when he says, it is finished, we were set free from sin and death. But it is done. is different. It means that the world as we know it is done. It is complete. His second coming or the second coming of Christ is at hand and Jesus is about to set his kingdom here on earth. And if we go back right before the seventh trumpet is sounded in Revelation uh, 11, 15, it says the kingdoms of this world have become the the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so what we have here is the the final bowl, bowl of the final judgment that is poured out into the air. This is a judgment against the prince of the power of the air and those who side with him. Now in the next two chapters, we will cover more in detail the great Babylon, which will take us back a little bit in time. But all the powers that be will be shaken, divided, split, as God gives them the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So too the earth will be shaken to its core, to its very core, as we hear about the noises and the thunderings and the lightnings and the great earthquake, an earthquake that has never, ever been sized up. (laughs) As man has been on the earth for 6,000 years, there's never been an earthquake like this one. And so everything will be shaken. Now, again, we don't want to be around for any of that. Especially these hailstones that fall. It says that they weighed, what was it? A talent. Anywhere from 75 to 150 pounds. (laughs) That's not good. Nor is it safe to be out. But it probably won't. Yeah, or in, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it will come right through your roof. And so looking at these judgments and knowing what will happen, what are we to do today? <laughs> because again, we read these things and it should break our hearts for sure. But as we read earlier, first or second Tim, uh, Peter chapter t- 3, it says from verse 10 to f- verse 15, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away and a great noise and the elements will melt 
with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written to you. What should we do? We should go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's our call today, to go. Our hearts should break for the, for the judgment that will come upon this world. There's people that will reject you today, and they will reject Christ today. But don't give up. As long as they have breath, and you don't know who God's, God's strengthening their position, so you continue to share the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, blessed be your name. You are holy. You are true. You are righteous in all your ways, Lord. And who are we, Lord? <laughs> You're the one that has written this book out for us. You're the one that will bring about the judgments, Lord. But Lord, you loved your creation so much that you sent your son so that man can have victory, can be freed from sin and death. And Lord, I know that most that are in this room right now, they've received you. They've escaped that death. Father, I pray for those who have not, that may be sitting here in this room right now, Lord God, who in their heart of hearts, Lord God, as they examine their own heart right now, they understand, they know, that they are not saved. And so, Lord, speak to that person. Lord God, that you would draw them into a place of repentance, a, a place of turning from their sin and receiving Jesus Christ into their hearts. And so, Father, again, Lord God, I pray that you would touch. And so as we're praying, again, if you're here, and I don't know all you guys, if you need that salvation to receive Jesus Christ into your life, slip your hand up, man. If you're saved already, you don't have to do it. You know you're saved. But if you're not, slip your hand up, man. I just want to pray for you. Because again, I don't want to miss this moment. Father, I do pray. That God, truly, Lord God, you would just encourage my brothers and sisters, Lord, to go out and make disciples of all nations, Lord. I know that they don't have to bring them here. They can do it right where they're at, Lord God. And so give my brothers and sisters boldness to ask the question, where, where are they at with Christ? 
that, Lord, you would put my brothers and sisters in places where they might be able to bring others into the kingdom. Give them that boldness, I pray, God. And, Lord, if they're scared, Lord, help them invite these people to church, Lord God, knowing that, Father, we will give them that opportunity to receive you. And so we thank you and we praise you for your goodness and your grace, for your long-suffering that you waited for us to be saved. Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Amen.